We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. Have you ever asked the question, what is my purpose? Why am I here? If you're listening to this right now, you have another 24 hours to live. And that is not an accident. And you might be hearing to the sound of my voice and think, I don't know what my purpose is. Everybody is pressuring me or there feels like so much pressure to find out what I'm passionate about or have more meaning and purpose to my day to day and live more with intention. And these are all buzzwords in the personal and spiritual development world. But what do they mean? Why am I here? Why do I exist? And when we ask that question, it opens something in our hearts and in our minds to receive the answer. And I believe that our life is always speaking to us and always trying to direct us in the direction of our life's purpose and why we were born, why we decided to incarnate at this time and space in 2021 to be finding ourselves asking this question, why am I here? And if you've ever asked this question and you feel like you're still struggling to find that meaning or direction in your own life, you've come to the right place. Because I really believe that everybody has a calling and our real job in life is to figure out why, why we're here and in Oprah's words, get about the business of doing it. And that can feel like a a challenge. It can feel like we're just wandering in circles and we don't know where we're going or why. And I think it begins with kind of uttering this internal prayer. Who am I? Why am I here? Why do I exist? What am I here to do? What am I here to give? What am I here to grow? What am I here to experience? What am I here to learn? These are big questions that if we don't take the time to ask them, we will miss the point of our lives and all the gifts and talents and love 
and healing that we can bring to the world in our own unique way. And um, I have contemplated these questions for years myself, and it wasn't until I was able to sit with them and intentionally create space to ask myself this question and listen to my own heart's response that I started to receive the guidance. I started to hear myself. I started to hear and decipher my own internal knowing, my own intuition that I've always had, but had been cut off from. I had kind of quieted or muted that voice for so long. And part of reconnecting to our purpose, discovering that is creating the space to do something different, to be someone different, to change our minds, to reroute, to pivot, if that's what life calls us to do. And I just want to invite you guys, if, if these are questions that you're asking and you're looking, you feel like you're in a season of seeking, what's the next thing for me? What am I to do? I need clarity. I need direction. Um, that's exactly what we're going to be diving into in the month of September. I have a three-part live workshop that I'm going to be leading for those that feel called to, to join me in an Upgrade Your Reality boot camp. Again, it's three live workshops where we're going to be working through my process of helping you identify where you currently are, what are your current GPS coordinates of your life's purpose, understanding what your unique gift is and how the experiences you've you've had in your life has prepared you to be able to give a certain thing in the world and uncover what your true life's purpose really is and how to begin to walk in that. That's what we're going to be focused on in the three sessions that are happening in September. And those are going to happen the 14th, the 21st, and the 28th. And if you are interested in joining me for those, you're going to get access to three live virtual workshops led by me, three workbook downloads, and of course, the workshop recordings if you can't join live. So so no fear if you can't join us at the time that we're going to do it, you will not miss anything. And this is available to you guys for $149, only $149 to join for all three sessions. And um, I really encourage you guys, if you are asking these questions and feeling like, hey, I just need, I need some help and understanding what's the purpose for all of this. Maybe you're lacking just meaning. Like when you get up in the morning, you just don't feel like you have much to give. Like why? Why does any of this matter? Is life just about living and and working and paying bills and having kids to teach them to do the same and then dying? And I truly believe there's so much more beyond that that we can discover if we create the space to do it. And um, if we allow ourselves to have the courage to listen and to follow where that leads. And that's what we're going to do in these sessions. So, so please join me for the Upgrade Your Reality Bootcamp for um, the month of September. The link, uh, as always, will be in the show notes. If you would like to go there, you can always go to my website, torygordon.com or any of my uh, social media links in my bio. You'll be able to find it there. Uh, and for those that that don't decide to join this time, that it's, that's okay. And, um, you know, something that I... I uh, found out over the past few months was that when someone Googles, what is my purpose? It actually, um, pulls up about 1 billion hits on the internet. And to me, that just speaks so clearly to how we view ourselves as human beings and, and what our 
uh, true existence means and, and if it has relevance or meaning and how do we start to discover that? And these are the, the questions that I think are most important that we ask, especially now in the times that we are living in. How can each one of us use our unique gifts to contribute to a, um, a better world, a better place to, to raise our children, to um, have families, to enjoy our lives, and ultimately to save uh, our planet, our country, and um, our species. It needs all of us. You know, the world, our planet needs all of us to get involved, all of us to contribute and to care and to be willing to... Um, to die for something, to be willing to live for something. Those are the same things. What am I willing to live for? What am I willing to die for? What matters that much to me? And um, we're going to figure figure out what that is for each of you. So I hope you'll join me in the month of September. Again, you can find that at ToriGordon.com or in the show notes. And uh, without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. So Nico is somebody that I met this past year. It, what has it, has it even been a year? No, it hasn't. I don't think. Maybe four or five months. Yeah. We got connected online as so many people do these days. And I think the first thing that drew me to notice you was your, um, was your manly photo in your Instagram, your Instagram photo, which is like this mountain man. And he has a very distinct look and about him. And I was like, who is this person? And when I went to your Instagram, all of what you were sharing and talking about were, were things I was really interested in and um, immediately connected to the content that you share. And as somebody who is a business owner, a creative in many ways, um, somebody that is really conscious about the type of work that you do personally and professionally. I'd love to know kind of how did you, how did you find yourself on this path currently and doing soul work, but also working with mission driven entrepreneurs? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And I feel like it's, you know, a good starting point. I f fell into this, like, I feel like most people, even though you, you and I have talked about this too, it's just through my own mistakes and trauma and, you know, having so many repetitive things go in directions that I didn't want them to go in my life. I started to look inward and, you know, and I was like, okay, what am I doing in my loving relationships? Uh, you know, how am I breaking trust? How am I not listening? How am I, how am I not showing up? You know, um, where is my resentment or my anger coming to a head, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I think this really started, I've always been a really introspective kid at a very young age. You know, I was an only child, just really spent a lot of alone time kind of in my head as an athlete or a musician or whatever. But I think this really started in my adult life when I was 23, when I went through my first real heartbreak. And, you know, as you've said with your mother and your sister and that loss, like similarly in my vein, like it really took me the loss of my grandfather, who was a father figure in my life when I was 22 he passed away a couple months before I graduated undergraduate and then losing my first real love when I was 23 years old. That sort of sent me down a path of really deep self-reflection, asking myself questions like, who am I to the core? Mm. What do I want? And who do I want to be? 
mm-hmm. or continue to be. And I think it was, you know, 23 when I first put myself into therapy for the first time, um, you know, while still pursuing all the other things I wanted in life, like being a pro athlete and starting my own company and creating media and content with wonderful people like yourself. Um, but yeah, that was where it started. You know, I'd say heartbreak. I'd say, I don't want to use the word failure because it's, it's a lessons, you know, I, I could try to steer away from that word nowadays, but really when, when things in my life broke down to a point where I didn't feel like I had a foundation mm-hmm. to stand on, where I didn't feel like I had a, uh, a, um, I didn't recognize myself you know, and when, when I got to those points, it's always been a huge door swinging open. And then the opportunity has been there to walk through and deal with the pain and the trauma and the grief and grow or to turn around and walk the other way. And I've, I've chosen different choices on various times in my life, but that's, that's sort of the short synopsis of how I got here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, this is, Often the through line, I feel like for so many of us who end up on this path is that we've hit a rock bottom at some point or we've faced significant trauma or loss or grief. And I've talked about this before. I don't, I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that pain is the only way for us to learn and to wake up to these things, but it's certainly a significant factor in what I think most commonly happens for people. Um, what was that decision like to put yourself into therapy for the first time? Yeah, (laughs) the decision, um, really came down to the sense of like, I felt like I lost everything when I lost this person. Right. And this was very much like my first love, young love, you know, um, and we can get into like my most recent separation, which to me was a lot deeper of a love. I've grown a lot more since this second sort of long-term relationship. But the first sort of call to therapy was me looking at myself in the mirror and being like, I contributed to the breakdown of this partnership Mm. in in a myriad of ways and taking accountability and also acting and not just saying I'm trying, you know, like I wanted to take action. I wanted to do. And so I didn't know where to start. I didn't, I didn't have the tools, you know, my, my father figure was gone. And so, um, you know, I was raised by two women as well, my grandmother and my, my mom, and, but they only had so much capacity to teach me. Right. And I felt like I had learned the lessons from them and I was still searching for sort of wisdom, you know, um, I had so many questions still about my own behavior, myself, like how I find a, a romantic partnership that's fulfilling and and mutual and growth oriented, you know, mm-hmm. while not putting too much requirement on another person because that was something I did and I've done in my relationships, just dump all this requirement on someone. So it was really when I, I got honest with myself that I too am part of the issues I'm experiencing that I was like, I need some help mm-hmm. in figuring this out. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I went through a process of sort of interviewing therapists. I wanted to find someone that connected with me because everyone has a different flavor or vibe and, and some people are going to connect with you and some people aren't. And there's a bunch of different like modalities of therapy of somatic work. You have Jungian philosophy You have all these different things, right? You have psychology, psychiatry, right? And I really wanted someone that like blended both of like the spiritual with the relational, with the inner child work, because I sort of knew what my shit was. I just didn't really know how to access it fully and how to integrate it as an adult man Mm. and become a better human being for myself and for most, 
most mainly my partner, my relational partners, but also everyone around me, you know, it, it ripple, it ripples out. So like you do the work, you're the main beneficiary, but then everyone you come in contact with, everyone you love to everyone you pass in the street benefits from you doing the work on yourself. And yeah, I think it was just being really honest with myself, like really not running away and victimizing or, or playing the role of a martyr and saying that, oh, this person's a narcissist or a codependent or putting all these labels on my ex-partner. Like, no, 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 no. I love, I loved this person. They're a good person. They made mistakes just like I did. They have their own baggage, their own stack of inner trauma, but I'm responsible for mine. Mm-hmm. I can't change them. No sure I want to. That's a lesson I've had to relearn again and again. But really it was hitting that, that sort of fence and being like, I can't fucking jump over this alone. You know, like I just can't. So uh, I started searching for resources and I mean, I was, I was definitely very depressed at the time too. I think being 23, losing uh, this person I was deeply in love with, you know, uh, there's a lot of trauma on both sides. I was like, didn't know who I was at all. You know, I lost my sense of purpose, which was wrapped in the relationship, um, and yeah, just searching for answers. And I wanted to be healthier inside, um, you know, from the outside, a very healthy, really healthy person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, uh, you know, from the inside, I had a lot to work on. Still do. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I I relate. <laughs> I relate a lot. And I asked that question because when it was it was the ending of a relationship for me that was the catalyst for me to go to therapy for the first time as well and it's often at least in my experience when you lose something and you recognize that you had you know had a part in in that playing out that it's like this it's this fire or igniter of of action and sometimes especially for the relationship it was too late at that point which was fine because I got what I needed from that relationship but it was um what spurred me into to action whereas thinking about therapy before had been a really tedious uh thought process of thinking about how does somebody even begin to start to uh chip away at maybe everything I have been in avoidance of or have been through. And, um, and so it takes, it takes courage to, I think, to, to go there within yourself and mm-hmm. a lot of emotional maturity to acknowledge, um, you know, your, your role in that dynamic, especially as a 23 year old guy. I mean, most 23 year old guys that I, I knew when I was that age weren't, participating in this type of discussion with other people, much less, you know, themselves Mm. was where do you feel like you picked up your ability to be introspective and self like reflective? Is that something that's been with you for a while? Yeah, I think it's been with me for a long, I mean, I remember even when I was nine years old, sitting in my room alone, really thinking about like, existence and like it's it's interesting you know but i will say that everyone i believe has the capacity for that Mm -hmm. thought and some people get lost in it i know when i was younger i would get so lost in sort of existential thought that i would feel very heavy most Mm -hmm. of the time you know i lost the lightness of life and uh that really dragged me down either through sport or through academics you know but 
I really, I think have my family to thank, you know, for, for all they are and are they, all they aren't, you know, they, they have healthy qualities and unhealthy qualities. Um, you know, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mother, they really encouraged me to keep looking for answers. You know, I was raised very religious, like Catholic, but then I, I left that faith when I was, when I kind of got into middle school, or high school, cause I kept questioning it. And I, they were, they were really open to me reading books about Buddhism or Taoism or, um, you know, uh, the Quran or like any sort of religious text, just cause I was like searching for sort of more meaning, you know, and, and just Christianity alone wasn't providing it for me. And so I was like, humans have had all these things throughout eons. We used to believe in multiple gods. We used to believe in no gods. We, we were gods. And then we, you know, I just kept looking at all these things because I wanted to know, like, why would I, why would I shut off another piece of humanity just because my ideals are siloing me into, you know, a wall into a box and not to say that I'm against religion, but I I just wanted to, I wanted to keep opening. I didn't want to be closed. So every avenue of my life where I feel resistance, I can feel closure. I can feel close, not in a good way, but something closing, you know, Mm -hmm. and to use the words of Michael Singer, like through untethered soul, like I really love his idea of like remain open even through heartbreak. And it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to not be jaded when you're hurt or when you've hurt someone else and say, I'm a bad person, they're a bad person, but there's a lot more to being human than just one action or or a couple actions. And so Mm -hmm. I think, you know, probably my family, but then I would say people along my, along my journey of life, such as yourself, like people I'll meet randomly or, or by whatever, however you want to frame it. Like maybe it's meant, meant to happen, but people have come in my life at the times I needed the most and taught me lessons that I didn't expect to learn you know, and, um, that that's, I think others, you know, I think that's why we're a community animal, um, is that we have to have each other and we have to be open to growth and to change. And we have to be open to admitting that perhaps our ideas are wrong. Maybe we have it wrong. Maybe we don't, but we should be interested in at least being challenged. Um, and so I, I really strive to have those conversations with people and, and to be wrong or to understand things more. Um, and I think ultimately, the whole thing at the core of this that I feel like myself and I think the majority of human beings strive for is to be seen deeply for everything we are. But the issue I have with that is we have a lot of human beings walking around in the mental health world now saying, I want to be seen. I want to be seen, but we're not seen. So I can explain that a little bit more. Like Mm. I really want to be seen, but if I don't work on seeing myself, I can never fully see another. So I Mm -hmm. can't give the gift I'm asking for. And if I can't do that, then I can never be fully seen because I don't even see myself. So I can't show myself fully. Yeah. Right. And so that's kind of at the root of everything I'm, I'm working at in myself is that, um, you know, my, in my past relationship, I thought I was like being very vulnerable and very open and communicating very well. And I was for a lot of the time, but for a good amount of the other time, I wasn't, even though I thought I was like, there were many times I shut down, even though when I thought I was communicating, you know? Yeah. And so I think to be able to look at that and to just practice like self-awareness and to build that, it's a skill that's built over time and it's mm-hmm. never complete is, is why I continue to ask questions about myself. And, you know, I'm a person that can consistently be like, you know, from day to day, go from like, was I right in that situation? Was I wrong? Like, was I speaking from like a place of, of like steadfastness and groundedness or was I speaking out of like resentment or animosity or pain or hurt or trauma? You know, I really try to ask myself those questions and be honest with myself about the answers because a lot of times we don't want to admit to ourselves that we are, um, you know, in our 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and 
still doing the same old shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We like, especially if we're, we've been in this world for a little bit, we tend to think we'll, we'd be past certain things by a certain point. We're like, Oh, I thought I was over this. I thought I'd dealt with this. And then it subtly creeps up or leaks out in different ways. And a lot of times there's self-judgment or shame or whatever that comes in. And the thing that I hear that's kind of underlying a lot of what you just said is one, you are curious, like you, you, you like me ask a lot of questions. And I was a kid when I used to, I used to sit on like, sit next to my mom on the beach and I would ask her like, where does sand come from? Like, what is it made out of? And, and she would always say, Tori, I don't know. And I, I, I remember her kind of just being dumbfounded with a lot of the questions I would ask. Like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. And you ask a big questions, go ask your dad. And my dad would say, look it up, (laughs) do your research. And so Google existed. Yeah, exactly. So, um, uh, how has that quality in you been, um, received in relationships because I have experienced personally that um, for somebody like me and might you might relate like who does ask a lot of questions is curious wants to get to the root of things wants to understand the real meaning behind things why is this happening so that we can address it you know at the deepest level have your partners or people in your life been receptive to that or has it felt challenging um to them like you're almost challenging them with questions or um challenging them with or questioning them with more you know more information like what they've provided is is not enough or sufficient Yes, that's a good question. I will say that I'm currently working on this and I'm, and what I'm working on specifically is that I think a lot of times with someone that's so into self-work and understanding the meaning of life, if you will, or why we exist or what our purpose is, you know, these big questions that should be asked, but can be quite daunting and heavy, um, is you have to be able to balance it and realize that you are never going to be dating yourself. And I think a lot of folks keep looking for themselves in a partner Mm -hmm. and that's not how love works. And And I am just as guilty of that. I think my last relationship, um, she had many phenomenal, has many phenomenal qualities and is an amazing human being. Um, and a lot of the, I think conflict arose where I sort of kept asking her to show up more or kept asking her to give more to the relationship because I, you know, felt like she wasn't giving to the relationship. And she would, she would also say, she's like, I've never been loved this strongly. I've never been like, you know, met like this. And, and of course we did plenty of not great things too, but you know, we, she recognized like how much I gave in the relationship. But I think for my, for my part, I always was like asking her to sort of give more or be more and was not accepting of where she was or who she was, uh, not all the time, but you know, sometimes throughout it. And I think that, you know, being honest with myself, is that fair to, I know who she, I know who she was when I first met her, when we first started dating, you know, um, is it fair to require someone to grow at a level that they 
one might not want to, two might not be capable of, or three just might not be ready for yet. And I, th- I think the answer is no. Um, and I think that that's part of building more self-awareness is, is being able to, you have a choice. You don't have to be in the relationship. No one's forcing you to stay in a marriage. No one's forcing you to stay in a partnership, but you do have the responsibility to the relationship to say, this is enough for me and I'm okay with accepting this person and they can grow on their own accord if they choose to. If they don't, they might be 80 and they might be the exact same person. And if you love them and you want that relationship, then that's how it's going to be. But you have to be okay with the possibility of them not changing if they're not growth oriented like you or they don't grow on the same level as you. Because again, you're not in love with yourself. It's a relationship, Mm. right? You're loving someone else, completely different person, different childhood, different experience, different trauma. Mm. Or if you don't think you can be met, you have to also have the courage to leave the relationship and you can still love someone. And I would hope that people can still have a relationship on some level. Cause I don't really believe in throwing away love. Although a lot of times we do that because of trauma or pain or infidelity or whatever, but you have to be honest with yourself. And for me, um, I couldn't leave the relationship because of well, one, how, how deeply I love this person. And two, I just, I always believed in her abilities. Mm. You know, I still, I still do, even though we're not together anymore. And, and I think it really took her, you know, leaving the relationship for the second time, um, to just sort of, again, shake me up enough to be like, I need to look at what I'm doing again. You know, I'm not, I'm not getting this right in my ways. And there's a lot of stuff I did get right. I'm not, Mm. I'm not saying like, I, I, I think I was an amazing partner for a lot of it. And I think she'll, you know, echo that, but I think that I, I slipped up a lot of times and that's what I need to be looking at because I'm not like striving for perfection. I'm always going to make mistakes. I'm going to have my things. I am who I am. I have my own bag of shit that I'm bringing into the relationship. But I think it's really important to be aware when we're like sort of imposing our requirements dogmatically on someone we love. We don't want to do that. This isn't a dictatorship. This is a partnership. And if they're not meeting you and you, and they can't meet you where you want, then you, you have to leave. You know, and I think give someone the opportunity to meet you for sure. But only you can decide that timeline of how many opportunities you'd like to give before, you know what, this person is just, they can't do it and I have to leave, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that's a hard thing for a lot of people to get to. I know myself, I still don't think I could leave, honestly. Like, um, I, it's just, yeah, it's difficult. You know, it's really when, when you really love someone, you believe in them, you believe in the relationship. I, I'm a, I'm a highly optimistic pessimist. You know, it's like, I, I think there's some things we, we might not be able to get back in humanity, but I genuinely believe in human beings and our capacity to overcome the unthinkable in ourselves um, and to connect and to grow. And, you know, yeah, my relationship is, is no longer as of now, but I still deeply believe in this person. So that belief will never change, you know, like I'm always going to love this human being, but the relationship at the time is in its current container then did need to end yeah. because we, we had, we had hit the ceiling and we were both like, um, acting out of our inner child's traumatically towards each other and causing more pain. Right. You know? And, um, I think again, you have two options there. You can go see a couple's counselor. You can really try to work on it. You can show up or you can split ways. And, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the work I'm trying to do is to get people to, to show up if, if both people want to be there, but Again, if this is a monogamous relationship, both people have to show up and say, you know what? I got work to do. I want to roll up my sleeves and you're worth it to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, the, and vice versa, you know, the other person, you're worth it to me too. And if that doesn't happen, it's, it's going to yeah. be a long road of, you know, probably some, a lot of struggle, 
in in a way where you you might not be able to recover it because struggle's inevitable. But how you handle the struggle? I mean, this is I think the first video I saw of you, Tori, when you were like, you know, fighting but fight, mm-hmm. um, fight well. You know, I really I really appreciate that sentiment because God, there's so many times um, I didn't fight well in my past relationship and the lessons that I'm learning from those instances that I replay in my mind, whether in therapy or just thinking or meditating on it, you know, are teaching me, um, invaluable lessons as a man, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I remember a time in an earlier relationship where, uh, ex of mine was really asking me to show up. And I didn't know that at the time I didn't, have the awareness to meet him where he needed me to meet him. Um, and it didn't hit me, you know, until after the fact. And after I, I started to have these types of conversations with myself and, and do some of this work that I could see the moments in my relationships where I'd miss the mark. And, and, and there's oftentimes you know, I should have, I should have done this differently or I should have, you know, said something or I should have, you know, comforted them or whatever. And then there's also the recognition of, I didn't know what I didn't know, you know, and that I hope that if I had known then what I know now, I would choose to respond differently, but it's Victor Frankl says in between stimulus and response is, a pause and that's where our power lies like our ability to choose how we're going to respond to things and the more that we're able to take that moment take that breath before we just automatically react from our wounds or from our pain or from our habitual patterns that we have the time to decide do I want to do what I've always done or can I yeah. respond differently And for me, it's been learning and practicing leaning into those pauses and choosing a a new response that I've seen the, the greatest change in me, but also in the way, you know, the people that I'm in relationship respond. And, and it's not easy. I mean, that is not an easy thing to do because uh, we're creatures of habit and we do, Mm. you know, what's feel safe in the moment and what we've done many, many times before that. And it's kind of this path of least resistance. So like taking a moment and choosing to be open when you want to close or choosing to be compassionate or non-judgmental when typically you would shame or blame somebody. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not default for us. And so I think having the, obviously having the willingness is, is huge. And I agree with you, you know, forcing anybody into anything never feels, never feels good. It's never aligned and no one wants to be doing anything out of obligation. And that's not, you know, that's not really love. What do you feel like is, are some of the biggest like lessons you've learned, um, regardless if they're about relationships or not, like what are the biggest takeaways you've had in the last year or so that has really, really helped you? 
Yeah, I might relate this to dating. So the initial encounter before sort of love formulates between two people, assuming this is like a monogamous relationship. But I, uh, I would say, and and I'm a huge fan of Alain de Botton via the School of Life. He's he's my man, and he brings up um, in his like quippy British accent that he believes uh, when you know instead on the first date, you know what do we usually do? You know we're swiping on Tinder, or Hinge, or Bumble, and boom, we got a match. We're like hey, you want to go get a beer, go grab some dinner? Yeah, sure. So we go out. And the first thing we say to each other is how awesome we are. We talk about the businesses we run, the mountains we've climbed, the whatever, um, you know, people we've helped, the the world, whatever. We've kissed babies. We've done all this stuff, right? It's we're amazing human being. We're the only unique human being that exists. Like you should want to be with me. And we're kind of the salesperson. Not that those things are untrue or wrong, although a lot of us are very hyperbolistic in dating. But he says that that's fine. But he's like, we should also say, this is how I'm hard to be with. These are my crazies, mm-hmm. you know? And if someone can tell me that legitimately and not just say, oh, my last relationship ended because I was dating a narcissist. Sure. I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, you know, but if they're like, if, if they're like, you know, I you know, was unfaithful in my last relationship because I didn't feel met or, you know, I, my, you know, I'm still processing, you know, stuff, issues I had with my father and my mother and I see how this proliferate, like those kind of things. And it doesn't have to be like that in depth, but you know, on a, on a base level, on a first day, I think is, is as a culture where we should be shifting because I want to see who you are and to be seen, you have to show yourself. Right. And when we go on the first four or five days, even the, the, the honeymoon phase, which was referred to as like the first 12 months of dating, which is an arbitrary number, but it Mm. like, you know what I mean? It's the first year. And it's like, even then we're still kind of showing like, you know, Oh man, are he, like are he or she is like go to the gym every day, like yeah. really nice with their dogs. Like this is a great person, you know. And not the not a great person, but that person, sweetheart, has a bag of shit. They're not showing you just like I do. Yeah. And the main thing I think is to get it out early and and be honest about it. And you don't have to know every nook and cranny of your soul of your shadow, but like mm-hmm. at least like give pieces of it that you know and be like, hey, this is what I'm working on, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, th- this is this is what I'm aware of. This is kind of the trauma or the pain I come from. And if the other person turns around and runs away, that person's not meant for you anyways, you know, because a person that's really going to value a conscious relationship that's growth oriented, they're going to see you sharing that, hear you sharing that, especially if you're not just, I'm not saying like a a dump on someone, like just vomit your problems on someone. I'm saying, Hey, here's what I've been through. This is how I'm using it to be a better person Mm -hmm. because you got to be working on yourself. Mm -hmm. If you just know you have problems, you ain't doing shit. That's (laughs) that's that's a problem in of itself. Right. Exactly. But it, but if you're like, here's, here's my stuff, here's my, my crazy as Elaine puts it. And, and he says crazy in a very compassionate way. It's not mm-hmm. like crazy that we're, it's just, we're all a little crazy. We're, yeah. we're these living beings, you know, it's, we do weird shit. Right. And so, so like, you know, saying like, here are my crazies and the other person says that, well then all immediately you're brought closer together because mm-hmm. of your, your wounds, you know, They're yeah. like gateways into your soul and you can begin to be more malleable, more compassionate and more fluid and be more like water as David Foster Wallace would say. And, you know, I think that that's one of the big lessons I've learned. And, and as I meet new people and I'm in a phase of my life where I am dating when I feel like it's appropriate for myself, you know, I'm asking the questions and, and I can almost tell within an instant whether this person's, you know, sort of done in a space that I want to get to know more, get to know more on a romantic level or just, mm-hmm. you know, be friends with them. Cause I, I full heart, wholeheartedly believe that you can be friends with anybody you're drawn to. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you're really looking for like deep 
connection, then it's not just about physical attraction or if this person, you know, has a nice car or, you know, has all these successes, but, you know, you'd be surprised who you find that have very deep thoughts and are deep, deeply seated and deeply rooted with their souls, you know, but to find that it has to be welcomed. It has to be open. You have to be asking the right questions and um, and for people that avoid the questions then you know. Yeah. I mean, to your point, you have to be willing to be seen and sometimes to be met. And I can't imagine, I mean, that in dating, it's like, okay, I'm going to open this door and see if you walk in. Right. And you might just stay out there and that's okay. And I allowed myself to be seen and, and, and there wasn't that reciprocated. Maybe you're not able to, um, but I agree with you being willing to, um, have those conversations is is so critical for, in my opinion, building a foundation for a relationship to actually stand upon because knowing your partner's wounds, knowing your partner's trauma, knowing your partner's past history is a love language in its own way. And if your partner doesn't know those things for themselves, it's very, very challenging, you know, to navigate that. And, um, you know, what has, um, the dating scene been like (laughs) for, for conscious, for, for conscious couples is what is that? What is that like these days? So I've only been on a few dates and and I will say that like, I'm still processing my grief and my mm-hmm. pain from losing my partnership. So I'm not fully healed from that. And I don't know if I'll ever be, but I'm, I'm getting there. Um, I will say like the more I understand and learn about myself, the more I understand what are my non-negotiables in a human being. And so, um, you know, well, well going on a date or just talking to even someone on the phone and getting to know them. Like I can, I can kind of tell, you know, whether there's compatibility and I do think compatibility is built over time, but you have to align on base values at a core, you know, fundamentally. And, um, you know, to be fair, my past partner and I, we did align on a lot of those base values. We just really weren't able to, I think, execute and meet each other in certain circumstances that were necessary. But I think, yeah, I mean, modern dating is interesting. I, again, I think everyone wants to be in a, you know, conscious partnership to an extent. I think that the, the masculine um, men, my sex has, have a lot of work to do. I think based on culture and society, we've been pretty stunted emotionally for a long time, you know, and um, some of that is probably attributed to biology and won't be changed because of there are differences with hormones and with development, but a lot of it's attributed to parenting structures and society and cultural pressures that are put on little boys and men and same with women. Uh, you know, I think both <laughs> all genders and both sexes and all both polarities have a lot of work to do, but speaking from a masculine perspective, you know, I think it's really, it's really rare for me to meet another man that's doing this work, you know, on a deep level. And when I do, I'm immediately like, this dude's never going to be leaving my life. You know, <laughs> like they're, 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 they're sort of part of this brotherhood that I'm building inside myself, you know? Um, and I've had friends like that since I was very young and I've added to that pool, but it is still a minority, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's changing. I do sense like some, some shifts some paradigm shifts going on within the masculine. And, and I think that 
you know, again, feminine, uh, um, femininity has a lot of growth to do too. And, and that also is shifting. And I think as a society, and this relates to dating, so that's your question, we're getting back to um, sort of the, the realization that we all need connection to thrive. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been so hyper individualized for the past 60 to 80 years with, you know, the industrial revolution to technology, to, to Instagram, to Facebook. And everyone's just like me, 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 me. Like the the entire universe is just between my two ears, you know, and very rarely do we stare at the stars anymore and zoom out and be like, I'm a little piece of meat with energy in my head floating around this big molten ball of lava with a magnet inside spinning around this giant ball of fire. And I'm wondering if like ghosts are real, like mm-hmm. this shit's already crazy, yeah. you know, like, like ghosts, ghosts are problem, but it's just like, we, we don't even think about like the, you know, the most interesting things. Like I, I had this thought the other day, this is so such a tangent, but like I grew up watching Pokemon as a kid. Right. Okay. And this has to do with curiosity, like okay. all these different, you know, little, I was, I was a super nerd little kid and I was like sitting there petting my dog and I was like, man, my entire, like little, when I was a little kid, I was like, I wish I had an actual Pokemon in life. You know, I was like, that's all I wanted. And I was like, I have one right here. Like this dog with four legs literally will do like go to bat for me in any instance. I can't do anything wrong. I'm the apple of its eye. It is my best friend, both of them. And I'm like, they're, uh, you know, it's just incredible, like to be so appreciative and grateful for what I have in front of me and stop yearning for something I don't have because of my imagination. Not that imagination isn't key. It is essential. So is curiosity. But sometimes I think we're so outwardly curious that we forget what like lies within us and around us. And that goes back to appreciating your partner where they are. And again, going back to that choice of like, Hey, you can appreciate this person for where they are. love them, be in a relationship, focus on creating harmony, or you can continue to try to like pull this person in a direction that they might not yeah. be ready to go yet. Yeah. So can you hear circle. that in the background? Can you hear that? It sounds thunder? like you're in, you're in like stra- a stranger things scene. There is a huge storm that has come through and it is a, it's nasty out. So if you hear thunder, that's what's going on. I love storms, man. And too. just to make sure you don't get zapped Tori, but uh, I love I thunderstorms. Hopefully not. I know growing up in the South, we had a lot of, of thunderstorms and I don't know if you knew this, but we, I lived through a really massive tornado in college and, uh, it was, that was pretty that. terrifying. So I would prefer none of those, but I, I, can, yes. I can get down with a, a thunderstorm. Um, I agree with everything you just said. And My dog is a Pokemon. I love that because it's so true. I think when I started to meditate and then when I came across breath work and ultimately, most recently, plant medicine, um, the power of my my own psyche is insane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what is available to me... um, that is beyond this 3d reality of what I can see in the space time continuum experience that I'm in right now, being able to tap into practices that allow me access to, uh, higher states of consciousness and, um, seeing and knowing clearer seeing, um, than I've ever had before has, has I found helped me to not look as much externally um 
as I used to, because now there's like this whole playground internally that I get to kind of discover that I'd never realized went anywhere because there was always just this locked door. And now it's like <laughs> the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe or like Narnia. I like stepped through this door within myself and there's this whole new world to explore. And so mm. that's what I've been like really enjoying um, over the past you know, year or so. You know, one of the hardest things about that door to sort of this inner Narnia opening up is when another person isn't stepping through it with you, you know, because I feel like there's no going back, you know, and that's, it is a word of caution to people that once you start doing this work, you're never going to be the same human being. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's what we should be striving for. But just so you know, you'll never go back, you know, and that's the thing. It's like, once you start looking at yourself and let's, you brought up psychedelics, like, you know, I'm a firm believer in the therapeutic benefits of a lot of different plant medicines, but also synthetic medicines like LSD and like ketamine for treating a lot of things and also opening just, you know, opening your mind like a bit more. And these, these medicines, if you will, are not, they're not going to heal you, but they allow you some, maybe an ego death or the absolution of self. So you can see things in a different light and you can work on healing yourself. There's nothing you're going to ingest that's going to heal you, but certainly people have been using this for centuries and you look at the Mayans and the Incans and you look at East Asia and you look at India and you look at Africa. People have been using stuff like this for centuries in ceremony to open their third eye or whatever you want to call it, right? We have so many different names for this soul work in, in culture and society throughout, throughout generations. And, you know, that combined with connecting with your breath, with, which, you know, a lot about Mm -hmm. for, with meditation, you know, I think allow us to create and har- harness more space between the trigger and the reaction as you already yeah. brought up, you know? And I wanted to, I, I just remembered a point I was going to make when you brought that up is that it's so easy in the initial stages of a relationship to be conscious of that. Mm. Like, okay, I'm going to be really patient and I'm like going to, you know, and then after three years, four years, five years, you know, a lot of us revert back and you get mm-hmm. pissed off because what you've been asking for over and over again doesn't change right. or whatever. Right. And so the important thing is to learn the lesson enough where you can be steadfast in that. And if it ever gets to the point where you can't, then you have to ask yourself, is this right for me? Yeah. You know, yeah. is, is my partner meeting me? All of those questions require so much courage to even ask, much less sit with the answer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is, can be excruciating and, and terrifying yeah. and, so necessary so necessary it is i almost want to talk about my first mushroom trip please it's it's cool shout it out yeah so it it wasn't want to (laughs) yeah it really wasn't that long ago um so i've been a musician my whole life i've been around pretty much every single drug known to humankind um but i had never really done a ton of psychedelics or or even hard drugs like i smoked weed a lot in high school and college um outside of being an athlete when i wasn't getting tested and you know um but i never really did any hard drugs but i was always really into uh, psychedelics because i would read books about you know meditation or soul work and there would always be sort of this like component of plant medicine, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, when I was 18, um, a good friend of mine, um, 
Andrew, who uh, was part in my band, uh, it was his 18th birthday. We were seniors in high school, and um, him and three other people in my band plus another another guy. Um, I had a pickup truck at the time, and they were like, "Hey, we're gonna take mushrooms and and let's all go to this Explosions in the Sky concert." And they're a band out of Austin, Texas. They're an instrumental band. They're and they're phenomenal. If you ever need music cool. to listen to when you're trying to have a spiritual experience, maybe start there. Okay. Um. Yeah. And uh, so so there was a, I think their first time taking mushrooms. So they took it, and I was like the the sitter, right? Mm-hmm. So being a musician, I'm like watching the show with all these lights, watching them, and I'm just like, "Holy shit! This is like something's going on. Mm-hmm. I can't feel it." I didn't do this, but like all these like 18 year olds, they're just like, you know, looking up and it wasn't like, it wasn't like a drug that they're taking to get high. Right. It was like their feelings and their sensations. And like all of a sudden they all started hugging each other. And then they got in the back of my pickup bed and we lived in Tucson, Arizona where we all grew up. And Tucson has this huge sky with mountain ranges surrounding it. And it was a crystal clear sort of autumn night. And it was like midnight after the concert got out. Uh, they all got in the back of my pickup truck and laid down all four of them and I'm driving the truck and they're just looking at the sky as we drive through Tucson. I'm driving for like an hour, you know, I feel like I win like the best friend award for, for that. Yeah. Day. Um, and so, you know, after like the next day we're all talking about, and they're just like, they were just talking to me about all this experience and like, man, it's so amazing. And like, you know, they kept hugging me and they're like, dude, I love you. You know, <laughs> we're like 18 years old and, uh, and, and I, I still had not experimented with it. So fast forward, um, like literally, I think this was three or four months after my most recent separation. So I mm-hmm. went through all of undergrad, all of this life journey. I, I hadn't taken a single psychedelic, okay. um, but I'd done a bunch of research. So my undergrads in biochemistry, environmental oh, science. Wow. So like I'd done a bunch, done a bunch of research in it and I'm a huge fan of my Michael Pollan and Rick mm-hmm. Dobbins and maps and all that stuff. So yeah. anyways, um, so I, I go through a separation in May of 2020 during the pandemic and I'm like, really like, I'm like, I think it's time. Like I was, I was definitely down and sad. I wanted to be in a good mental space because I don't recommend it taking it when you're unstable. You really yeah. want to have a focus of what are you here to achieve? What is this here to teach you? What are you looking for? As opposed to like, I'm going to take this to trip. That's not mm-hmm. what you want to be doing. No. You know, you want to have a, a purpose. You want to be mindful of it. It's, it's a, it's a medicine, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a better sense than just a drug. And, yeah. um, and this goes for all of them. MDMA, even though it's a party drug for a lot of people, um, research, do your due diligence and educate yourself before taking anything. Yeah, and so I, I have a like good friend. Recreational party. Party. This is not, this is no, this is not recreational and it shouldn't be used as that. You really, this yeah. really is for, for human soul work, I would say. Um, and so I have a good friend, uh, a really close friend of mine and he had some, uh, mushrooms and this is sort of funny, but anyone who's a psycho not out there would know what mushrooms I'm talking about. These are, these are called penis envy mushrooms. And, um, if you're into psychedelics, these mushrooms are like one of the granddaddies uh, that the two brothers in Oregon or Washington made. It's like their strain. Um, it is, it will obliterate your sense of self and, uh, you will go to whatever land it is you want to go to. Um, and so he gave me these mushrooms and I was planning on microdosing, right? Which is a very small, maybe one twentieth of a normal dose to one thirtieth, you know, just to give my body a sensation. But I was also in the mental state of like, I I just lost my partner. She chose to let, leave for the second time. And I was really like, I don't know. I was searching, you know, yeah. I was searching and it felt, it just felt, I guess, right. And um, he said, he, he gave me a couple rules. He's like, Nico, here, here's, here, here's, here it is, my man. Number one, don't take this at night. <laughs> Don't okay. take these not in the morning. Okay. Easy rule to follow. Don't take a lot of these 
because you're a newbie and I don't want anything bad to happen to you because you might lose your mind. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, and he's like, and also don't, don't do this alone. You know, like be, be in a, in a community setting, come over to my house, or like be in a comfortable setting, comfortable people, but probably just don't take it alone, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I have great listening skills and I went home and I'm just like, all right, well, um, it's 5 PM and I'm feeling like I want to do this. And I, my patience is literally zero. And, uh, I'm just like, okay, take, take some. And so I just eat a bunch of these mushrooms. And when I mean a bunch, I mean like a lot, like, um, the next day I found out that I ate way too many. And, uh, so, you know, and I knew the measurements, like I had all the science down. I just didn't even use it. I was just like, so okay, don't follow, you didn't like, don't follow these instructions. Way- way in no, no helmet no. don't follow these instructions people if you're listening um what not this is to do. this is a this is what not to do but i will tell you about my trip so i took a lot of it and then i was like i an hour went by and i didn't feel anything and i did exactly what you're not supposed to do is i ate more after the initial dose which um with psilocybin it, it compounds instantaneously so if you eat more after an hour you actually don't get more of the psilocybin trip you just get more of the, the sickness you know so you want to it's, it's like the first dose really is what you want to focus on so i took more you know and i was like these mushrooms actually taste really good interesting um and uh you know hour and a half goes by and i'm just like oh, my, oh shit I can feel it now, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was kind of dark. It was like raining outside. Um, and I had not eaten anything. He was like, don't eat anything unless you want to come out of the trip, you know, just don't eat anything. And so my two dogs are laying there and immediately I'm just like, I got to go lay down. Like, so I go to my bed and I lay down and I just whoo, transported back and I was, I could see myself. I was nine years old and I was sitting in my room, like kind of in the fetal position crying. And I immediately knew exactly what uh, situation I was in, like, and what, what had happened to lead me to that. And I, I remember like I was talking to my, my younger self and I was like trying to sort of um, comfort this child. I was like, it's going to be all right. You know, you're okay. And, uh, I just, I like these, these things kept playing back in my mind where like I would go back from this scene where I was very much isolated and alone as a child to, uh, my relationship that I, that had just ended and, and seeing the, the, the parallels from, the pain I was experiencing as a child, feeling like I was alone to the loneliness I felt in the relationship when I wasn't being seen or met, you know? And I was like, what am I missing here? You know? And, and, and I, so I'm like kind of coming in and out of, I would say consciousness in, in this reality where like I'm back in my body and I'm like, holy shit. And then I'm back in the scene and, you know, things are moving around in the bedroom and I'm crying. Like I, I'm, I'm literally physically, my tears are coming out of my eyes, uh, for probably about seven hours straight. So I took this at five. The trip didn't really end till like 3am. I mean, it was long. I took, I ate a lot. Um, and probably about an hour after I started crying, I felt two like warm beans, like sit next to me. And I didn't know this at the time, but these are my dogs. And, and I thought this was happening in like the the trip as part of my brain, but, but they had noticed that they're like, something's going on, you know, like this dude, this dude did something to himself. So they're just like, they come and they just, they put their heads on me and uh, I'm crying sitting there and they're just, you know, worried because they don't know what's going on, but they can also sense, I think, you know, Mm -hmm. like dogs are very much with their smell and everything and they're in tune with their soul more than we are. And so the majority of the trip was me going back from these two scenes of like my pieces of my relationship. And then this, this part of my childhood where I felt very alone and lonely. And, um, I didn't feel the lack of love, but I didn't feel, I guess the lack of love in certain instances, you know, there was a coldness and there was like, um, 
an avoidance and there are pieces of my family and pieces of my mom, my mom's trauma that I could see, you know, not that I didn't see this already, but it was like, man, this is apparent that I need to work on this now in my life because if I keep avoiding it, it's going to continue to proliferate with the people I love, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think I've ever cried that much. I mean, I've cried plenty in my life. I'm an emotional human being, but I, I don't think I've cried for eight hours straight. I mean, even when I lost my grandfather, you know, and mm-hmm. I came out of it and of course I just felt exhausted. Mm-hmm. Like I felt so exhausted and I was like, holy shit, no wonder he told me not to take that many. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I called my friend and he's like, oh, did, are you going to take some today? I was like, well, I actually took some last night. He's like, I told you not to take them at night. And I was like, yeah, I know. And he's like, how much did you take? I was like, half of the bag. He's like, half of the bag? And he's like, I told you not to take that either. And I was like, yeah, oh I know. And he's like, well, who was with you? I was like, nobody. And he's like, oh my God. You know, and all I the told things. him like, I did all the things. Yeah. And, and don't, you know, don't be a bad listener guys. But um, I don't regret any of that experience because you know, a lot of people say that you can have a bad or good trip and and fair enough you can, but I don't consider that a bad trip. It was a trip deep down into a spot that I really needed to see. And I'm definitely Mm -hmm. looking forward to going back regardless of if it's painful or not, because you can't grow without seeing it, you know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and I, and it's not like I wasn't aware of it before, but I think it, it made me realize just how important that part of myself is that I need to open and work on because, um, I think a lot of the pain I caused in my past partnership was attributed to the pain within that little boy. And I think that until I can figure out how to be okay with it or release it, um, I, I'm not going to be the partner I, I know I can be or I want to be. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Um, because it's confer- It's crazy like how hearing other people's experiences can confirm some of your own. Um, my first, not first experience, but, um, my first, my first journey that I did that was really focused internally, meaning I wasn't like out in nature or outside or around a bunch of people. And, um, but that was really focused on going within my, my own psyche and, to deal with my stuff, um, was I had a very, very similar experience. I didn't do any of the things you did, which was like take more than I should or do it alone or anything like that. I was in a really safe container and had people there facilitating for me, but I had, um, a similar experience of being taken back to a memory when I was like three or four and crying as a as a child and asking where are you like where specifically to my mom where are you and um she never came and i i know i have a memory of that it wasn't a memory i had had really repressed because i remember crying myself to sleep wondering where my mom was and she was at work she was working and how that had done the exact same thing for me and shown up in my relationships of feeling alone, feeling alone and that I was, no one was coming to comfort me, you know? Um, and in my journey, I was releasing, um, I was back in that experience, releasing obviously the grief of that. And, um, and my facilitator came and she, she put her hand on my chest and, 
it was this full circle moment because in the moment I was, where are you? I was asking, where are you? And did you not know I needed you? And I was like crying out sort of like, did you not know? And she came and she put her hand on my chest and it was just so healing because it was like this reassurance of I'm here, like I'm here and you're not alone. And that's what that little girl needed to hear and like needed to know that I didn't know at the time. And so it was this really beautiful um, completion of a moment that had gone misinterpreted for a really long time, you know, and caused me to feel like I was always kind of going to be on my own. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that's shown up in a lot of different ways, hyper independence, you know, um, yeah. not letting myself need people. Um, and yeah, showing up in not the most warm, nurturing, feminine aspects of of myself that I can. And so I've been consciously working on that. And that was my first experience, which was, it was so profound, you know, and um, needed. It was really, really needed. And since then, it's gotten, it's gotten even cooler. But, um, you know, you don't know what you need need and that's the beauty of the medicine that i've experienced is yeah. that it brought me exactly what i needed to face i agree and i think that as this stuff becomes less stigmatized you know when we look at like the therapeutic pro pro uh, properties of lsd which for instance isn't like considered a plant medicine because it was made in a lab mm -hmm. but very similar um sort of reaction in the brain as psilocybin, but also very different. So um, there's a ton of fMRI studies of this. So you guys should go look at it. There's a lab out of Australia that does research as well as a lab out of Santa Cruz, which is run by MAPS um, that are both doing a ton of research on this. So they'll have someone ingest X amount and then they'll do an fMRI scan of their brain and see which areas light up. And so with, with um, psilocybin and so mushrooms, it's a very specific area in the brain. And I can't remember the specific name of it, but it's a very specific area. So you, you take mushrooms and boom, this little sort of dungeon is lights up, this light mm -hmm. bulb comes on, right? You take LSD, the entire thing lights mm -hmm. up. It's the entire, it's just like, boom. So that's why like when, when you ask people like, what is the difference? It's hard for people to describe. And, and in my mind, mushrooms are like you get on the back of this train, and this train is your your soul, right? And the mushrooms are like, hey, man, we're going to drive from here. We got it. Come on. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why a lot of people before they start to trip, they feel like they're like holding on to an edge yes. because they're grasping to their reality yeah. so strong. They don't want to let go because why we have to have control. Mm -hmm. And if we don't have control, we're fucked, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, LSD is sort of the opposite in that. And I feel like you're on the front of the train and all the lights in the station light up and you're just like, oh my God. And you can kind of drive the train around. So I would say LSD might make you feel like you're in a little bit more control because, you know, it's really sensory. Like, mm. you know, I think, I think LSD has a lot of properties to be used in couples therapy, in my opinion, mm. to open up two people to share trauma with mm. each other, to, to see each other for all the light they have inside. Same with MDMA. Um, but you know, those are sort of the differences. And I think, you know, um, 
with with the the imaging that you can kind of compare it it's really intriguing just i think on a biochemical level of like the differences in the areas of our brain that light up ingesting these things and peyote ayahuasca these things are different you know they, they all affect the thing differently and so as human beings we're always trying to make sense of it you know like I, i'm totally fine with using these things and and it being more of a spiritual practice but i think for you know people to really approve of them it has to be scientifically studied it has to be treated in an efficacious way it has to be administered by therapists or by physicians or by psychiatrists that have clinical backgrounds and and i'm okay with that i think we need to obviously have rules and regulations Mm -hmm. in society and so part of this is really i'm passionate about is is getting more people to um support and believe in scientific studies around the healing properties of these different medicines that we have and you know if you're interested go out and donate to maps go Mm -hmm. out and donate to to people doing this work um and be interested in it like even if you grew up in a setting where like all drugs are bad like you know and and this is gonna like change your Mm -hmm. brain and you'll never come back you'll you'll look like that dog with the tongue sticking out you're gonna get addicted right Um, that was like that was the mentality i had growing up i was i mean i grew up in small town alabama bible belt yeah you know, you're Protestant, Christian, Jesus, and believer, and been baptized three times just to be sure, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> and um, that was my, I mean, I had to do a lot of, of uh, you know, releasing of fear and, and belief systems that had told me that was wrong, really, really wrong. And um had to give myself this permission slip to to be you know to to try it and it's it's put me on such an accelerated path to healing and growth that i could never have expected and you don't know until you know like you until you have your own experience with it and it's only um it's only amplified to the point that now as you know, a practitioner of, of breath work and facilitator of transformational experiences and stuff. There are clients that I see that, um, have faced extensive trauma. And when we have like our brain has adapted to survive and oftentimes it is deeply, deeply hardwired and has hardwired conditioning that doesn't allow us to do some of this consciousness work where we would just want to go in and like consciously work through our stuff or, you know, do some emotional intelligence work or whatever. And because of our nervous system and our hardwiring, it's like, nope, we are not doing that. That is so unsafe that this medicine allows us to create distance in those neural pathways so that we can Mm. create new associations. And so I get the science of it and then the spiritual aspect of it is a whole nother conversation. It is. And, and there's, there's so much we'll, we'll understand and there's always going to be so much we'll never understand mm-hmm. because our, our ability to grasp some of the things going on within, even within reality or is impossible. Like we'll never know hundred percent of what's in the ocean. We know mm-hmm. like one or 2% of what's in the ocean. That's the same thing with our brains, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and I like to think of the idea as being the caretaker. Like we are caretakers of this planet, but we've lost our way in that. And we've lost our way because we've lost our ability to be caretakers of ourselves and our own souls. You know, we've separated our ego from our soul so much because both are necessary that we've sort of lost 
our purpose. You know, we, we've lost a greater purpose and I'm speaking collectively as a species. Like we're all so focused on ourselves so individually, you know, and, and very rarely do we stick our hand out anymore and say, I'm going to help you. You know, I don't even know you, but I'm going to help you. And I think that if we can get back to a society and I don't think this is utopic. I think it's very human that if we can get back to the society where we are being better caretakers of ourselves and certainly psychedelics is a vessel to get on that train. So is therapy. So is breath work. So is ice baths, you know, mm-hmm. um, but to get, to become better caretakers of ourselves, we can, then it ripples outward. We can be better caretakers of our partnerships and our relationships. We can be better caretakers of our children, mm-hmm. which is arguably one of the most important things we're ever going to do if we do have kids and we can mm-hmm. be better caretakers of the planet, which gives all of us life, which gives us these medicines to take, which gives us the ability to have these things and be able to communicate via the internet, you know, um, as far as I know, you know, there's there might be a lot of universes out there. We only have one planet and mm-hmm. we only have one body and one soul right now. We got to take care of all of them, yeah. you know, and each other. Um, I work with an amazing spiritual psychotherapist who I've had on this show. And, um, she says, you know, when we heal ourselves, we heal seven generations before us and seven generations after us. And to your point, earlier it's like when we do the work everybody that we come in contact with is a beneficiary of it and we are healing not just us in this lifetime but we're not continuing to pass down generationally generational trauma um and and that is you know incredibly powerful and i was in a women's group last night of uh women who are who are doing this work Many of them who are practitioners, who are clinical therapists, some of which are considering giving up their licenses to um, because of the restrictions around some of this this stuff. Um, but the way it was described in that circle last night was, you know, when you say yes to this path of self-discovery and inquiry and healing, it's there's a moment some of us experience where it's like you've come home to yourself. Like it's a remembering of who you are. It's not like finding out who you are. It's, it's, I'm more myself now than I've ever been. And you're kind of asking, I asked this question, like who have I been all this time before then, if I haven't been Mm me. And, um, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing to think about. It is. Yeah. I think, we've been really good actors for a long time. You know, we, we, we sort of idealize the person on the screen, you know, like people acting, famous athletes, famous uh, musicians, and not that this is a bad thing. You know, some people are very talented and it's awesome to look up to them and have, have idols in a sense, but what are we idolizing for? Mm. You know, is it just because they're famous? Is it just because they have a lot of wealth? Is it just because they have a lot of fan base or is it because they're genuinely a good person working on themselves, doing better things in humanity? Mm. And there are people that fall into that category that are famous and I, you know, look up to those folks. But I think when we idolize acting, uh, in, in such a big sense, that hyper individualistic part, that the big part of the ego that wants to be me, 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 you know, we f- keep feeding it and then we lose a sense of our soul, which is our deep self, right? The ego is the surface self that this deep self is the soul. And we lose such a big sense of that soul that we're living someone else's life. 
because we forget that we have a choice in this, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're consciously or subconsciously or unconsciously or non-consciously as Dr. Carolyn Leaf would say, walking in a direction, you know, mm-hmm. we can choose what direction we're walking in. And some of the, you know, the experiences from the trips I've had has sort of had this rope. It's almost like a tug of war where I'm like pulling my soul back a little bit closer, or, you know, I'm pulling back because mm-hmm. the soul is rooted. It's grounded. So mm-hmm. you got to pull yourself back towards it. It's never going to move towards you. Mm-hmm. You got to move towards it. And mm-hmm. I've been pulling myself back to where my soul is. And I'm like, oh shit, this is what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Like I can feel it. You know, I don't know how to explain it. And, um, you know, maybe that's spirit in the sense mm-hmm. is a greater connectedness with all of us. But I just, uh, I've been running for a long time and I don't want to do it anymore. One of, uh, my second journey, one of the biggest takeaways I had was just this deep knowing that everything is as it should be like that. Nothing is what we perceive as wrong or right, or shouldn't be this way. Like everything has a purpose, everything we've ever experienced, every grief, every like thing that we feel was an injustice, like it plays a role and we might not understand that in this lifetime, but it was a a deep, deep knowing and a settling that allowed me like this peace that like whatever choices I'm faced with making in my life, it will be okay. It will be okay. And that is, um, I think for a lot of people, just the assurance that we all are like really wanting that we're going to be okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was just such a gift that I was given because it removes all, ang- you know, a lot of anxiety around what's going to happen is, am I going to be okay? I feel like if we live from this belief system that if I do whatever, I might not be okay. We're always going to live with some level of anxiety, you know? And, and, um, those deep knowings and truths I think are accessible in a lot of ways, but it was, it was really, really profound. And I'm excited to, to continue exploring. There's, there's, um, a whole a whole lot that becomes available to access mm-hmm. and I, I'm still integrating some of it honestly because um I've had some I don't know how to describe it if I would say visitations but um of actually in my second journey my sister came to me her soul soul came t- to me and we were together and it was very, um, it was very intense, very loving. It was just like, she walked in the door and I just recognized mm-hmm. her. I just like knew she was there, but it, I didn't see her or anything. It was just like our souls were together. And this probably sounds crazy for those like listening, but, and I could sense when she left, like it was just this most bizarre thing. And then I told you a couple nights ago, I was supposed to do, um, my last journey and I didn't and cause I had to, I had to facilitate a weekend retreat or a weekend workshop. And that night in my dream, I had a similar experience in a dream state, but my mom came through to me and it was, 
in this it's it was not a typical dream it was very different and so i i'm sensing access to some something um that's uh just multi-dimensional um access and learning how to how to honor that and how to work with it in the in a way that's like for the highest good yeah i think that's beautiful i I will say like, I think that, you know, there, there's stuff that we can't control and it's really good to like, let go of that anxiety, as you said, and, and sort of surrender to, you know, things that are out of our control. But I will say that I think there's a balance of putting in the effort mm. in our tangible reality, you know, cause if, if we merely just sort of shrug our shoulders and be, it is sure. what it is, you know, it's a, it's a very common thing. It is what it mm-hmm. is. It's like, well, it also is what we make it mm-hmm. and it is what we put into it. And I, I do would love to leave people with that idea of like, yes, there are things out of our control and it is really good to make peace with that and mm-hmm. to be accepting. And, but I think again, I, I just made an Instagram video about this a couple of days ago is that you need both acceptance and effort in consciousness, whether it's in a relationship with yourself or another person or work or whatever, um, you know, and I think it, it goes back to the idea again of being fluid and being like water. Like you can be fluid, but water is always moving in a direction because mm-hmm. stagnant, stagnant water is not fluid. So, you know, you still have to be moving in a direction with purpose, but yeah. also be open to courses cha- changing because mm-hmm. canyons aren't straight, you know, and yeah how I think of it in my mind to keep myself honest to effort, but also to surrender mm-hmm. as well too. Mm-hmm. I heard somebody say it is, um, be fully committed and totally unattached. I love it. Yeah. I too. I well, that. thank you. Thank you for coming on and having, having a conversation. We should do this. I feel like we should do this a couple times, a couple times a year and, uh, just get updates on what's going on in your world. Cause it's just nice to have people in your life that you can be honest with and talk about these things with. Yeah. And I hope that's what you guys listening take away. It's like have people, regardless of if they're in your city, you know what I mean? They don't have to be, they can be across the world. But if you connect with somebody like, um, be willing to, to engage and be willing to share and, and it allows you to feel supported and, and vice versa. And, and that's what we need. That's what we need so much of and that's what you give to me so thank you for that thank you tori i I can't reiterate that the feeling is mutual um it's been a blessing to get to know you and uh, thank you for having me on your show and uh if people didn't don't know tori came onto my show star of the ego feed the soul and she was an amazing interviewee and we talked about a bunch of awesome stuff so go check that episode out as well too because it was a brilliant conversation and uh yeah I mean, it's an honor to chat with you and um, i know we didn't really have a, a topic of focus but i i'm pretty sure we we did a pretty good job i feel yeah. pretty satisfied with what we talked about so thank you for having me on tori same and um for those listening if if you like this show and you're you're getting value from it obviously um go follow nico and um We'll put links to how you can connect with him in the show notes. But also, if you are a podcaster yourself or um, are a uh, heart-centered creative or entrepreneur, we didn't talk about this on the show, but Nico is an incredible um, 
an incredible guy, but he also does a lot of great work on, on media and, and actually makes the show happen and makes it what it is. Cause he's part of my team as well. So go check him out. If you're looking for support in, in regards to, to your media production or anything like that, he's definitely somebody you want on your team. Um, so till next time, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow, subscribe, share it with a friend or leave a rating and review. It's so appreciated and helps us get this out to more people. And um, you're doing me a great service if you if you would share. So thank you and I love you and I'll see you next time on the Coachable Podcast. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it.